Hello and welcome to Unwind Time. I'm your host, Dana. I'm going to try to do this as weekly as possible. And um, you'll notice that it is an homage, and I won't try to hide that fact. It is an homage to Writer's Almanac, and it is a giant tip of the hat to the incomparable Garrison Keeler. The format of the show will be I'll read an excerpt from a book and follow that with some prose or poetry and round that off with some important events from history. And, uh, and that will be everything. So uh, without further ado, let's get started. Today's theme on Unwind Time is Letters, Loopholes, Rules, and Apartheid. Today, I will be reading from Trevor Noah's book, Born a Crime, Stories from a South African Childhood. And I will be reading from the 2019 Spiegel and Grau trade paperback edition. So if you have that, you can follow along. Uh, I'll be starting uh, on page 80. And... This is a slice about his young childhood. My relationship with my mom was like the relationship between a cop and a criminal in the movies, the relentless detective and the devious mastermind she's determined to catch. They're bitter rivals, but damn, they respect the hell out of each other, and somehow they even grow to like each other. Sometimes my mom would catch me, but she was usually one step behind, and she was always giving me the eye. Someday, kid, someday I'm going to catch you and put you away for the rest of your life. Then I would give her a nod in return. Have a good evening, officer. That was my whole childhood. My mom was forever trying to rein me in. Over the years, her tactics grew more and more sophisticated. Where I had the youth and energy on my side, she had cunning and she figured out different ways to keep me in line. One Sunday, we were at the shops, and there was a big display of toffee apples. I loved toffee apples. And I kept nagging her the whole way through the shop. Please, can I have a toffee apple? 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 Finally, once we had our groceries and my mom was heading to the front to pay, I succeeded in wearing her down. Fine, she said, go and get yourself a toffee apple. I ran, got a toffee apple, came back, and put it on the counter at the checkout. Add this toffee apple, please, I said. The cashier looked at me skeptically. Wait your turn, boy. I'm still helping this lady. No, I said, she's buying it for me. My mother turned to me. Who is buying it for you? You're buying it for me. No, 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 no. Why doesn't your mother buy it for you? What? My mother? You're you're my mother. I'm your mother? No, I'm not your mother. Where is your mother? I was so confused. You're my mother. The cashier looked at her, looked back at me, looked at her again. She shrugged like, I have no idea what this kid's talking about. 
Then she looked at me like she'd never seen me before in her life. Are you lost, little boy? Where is your mother? Yeah, the cashier said. Where is your mother? I pointed at my mother. She's my mother. What? She can't be your mother, boy. She's black. Can't you see? My mother shook her head. Poor little colored boy lost his mother. What a shame. I panicked. Was I crazy? Is she not my mother? I started bawling. You're my mother. You're you're my mother. You're you are my mother. She's my mother. She's my mother. She shrugged again. So sad. I hope he finds his mother. The cashier nodded. She paid him, took our groceries, and walked out of the shop. I dropped my toffee apple and ran behind her in tears and caught up at the car. She turned around laughing hysterically, like she'd really got me good. Why are you crying? She asked. Because you said you weren't my mother. Why did you say you weren't my mother? Because you wouldn't shut up about the toffee apple. Now get in the car and let's go. By the time I was seven or eight, I was too smart to be tricked. So she changed up the tactics. Our life turned into a courtroom drama with two lawyers constantly debating over loopholes and technicalities. My mom was smart and she had a sharp tongue, but I was quicker in an argument. She'd get flustered because she couldn't keep up, so she started writing me letters. That way she could make her points and there would be no verbal sparring back and forth. If I had chores to do, I'd come home to find an envelope slipped under the door, like that from a landlord. Dear Trevor, children obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Colossians 3.20 There are certain things I expect from you as my child and as a young man. You need to clean your room. You need to keep the house clean. You need to look after your school uniform. Please, my child, I ask you, respect my rules so that I may respect you. I ask you now, please go and do the dishes and do the weeds in the garden. Yours sincerely, Mom. I would do my chores, and if I had anything to say, I would write back, because my mom was a secretary, and I spent hours at her office every day. After school, I learned a great deal about business correspondence. I was extremely proud of my letter-writing abilities. To whom it may concern, dear mom, I have received your correspondence earlier, and I'm delighted to say that I am ahead of schedule on the dishes, and I will continue to wash them in an hour or so. Please note that the garden is wet, and I cannot do the weeds at this time, but please be assured that I will complete this task by the end of the weekend. Also, I completely agree with what you are saying with regard to my respect levels, and I will maintain my room in a satisfactory standard. Yours sincerely, Trevor. Those were the polite letters. If we were having a real full-on argument, or if I'd gotten in trouble at school, I'd find a far more accusatory missive waiting for me when I got home. Dear Trevor, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. Proverbs 22.15 Your school marks this term have been very disappointing, and your behavior in class continues to be disruptive and disrespectful. 
It is clear from your actions that you do not respect me, nor do you respect your teachers. The way you treat me and the way you treat your teachers will be the way you treat other women in the world. Learn to buck that trend now, and you will be a better man because of it. Because of your behavior, I am grounding you for one week. There will be no television. There will be no video games. Yours sincerely, Mom. I, of course, would find this punishment completely unfair. I'd take the letter and confront her. Can I speak to you about this? No, no. If you want to reply, you have to write a letter. So I would go to my room, get out my pen and paper, sit at my little desk, and go after her arguments one by one. To whom it may concern, dear mom, first of all, this has been a particularly rough time in school, and for you to say that my marks are bad is extremely unfair, especially considering the fact that you yourself are not a very good student in school. I am, after all, a product of yours. And so, in part, you are to blame, because if you were not good in school, why would I be good in school? Because, genetically, we are the same. Gran always talks about how naughty you were, so obviously my naughtiness comes from you. So I don't think it is right or just for you to say any of this. Yours sincerely, Trevor. I'd bring her the letter and stand there while she read it. Invariably, she'd tear it up and throw it in the dustbin. Rubbish, rubbish, this is rubbish. Then she'd start to launch at me and I would say, ah, 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 no, no, no. You have to write me a letter. Then I'd go to my room and wait for her reply. This sometimes went back and forth for days. The letter writing was for minor disputes. For major infractions, my mom went with the ass-whooping. Like most black South African parents, when it came to discipline, my mom was old school. If I pushed her too far, she'd go for the belt or the switch. That's just how it was in those days. Pretty much all of my friends had it the same. My mom would have given me a proper sit-downing hiding if I'd given her the opportunity, but she could never catch me. My grand called me Springbok, after the second fastest land mammal on earth, the deer that the cheetah hunts. My mom had to become a guerrilla fighter. She got her licks in when she could, by belt or maybe shoe, administered on the fly. One thing I respected about my mom was that she never left me in any doubt as to why I was receiving the hiding. It wasn't rage. It wasn't anger. It was discipline from a place of love. My mom was on her own with a crazy child. I destroyed pianos. I shat on the floor. I would screw up. She'd beat the shit out of me and give me time to cry. Then she'd pop back into my room with a big smile and go, So are you ready for dinner? We need to hurry and eat if we want to watch Rescue 911. Are you coming? What? What kind of psychopath are you? You just beat me. Yes, because you did something wrong. It doesn't mean I don't love you anymore. What? Look, did you or did you not do something wrong? I did. And then I hit you. And now that's over. So don't sit there and cry. It's time for 911. William Shatner is waiting. Are you coming or not? When it came to discipline, Catholic school was no joke. Whenever I got into trouble with the nuns at Maryvale, they'd wrap me on the knuckles with the metal edge of a ruler. For cursing, they'd wash my mouth out with soap. For serious offenses, I'd get to see the principal. Only the principal could give you the official hiding. 
You'd have to bend over, and he'd hit you on your ass with this flat rubber thingy, like the sole of a giant shoe. Whenever the principal would hit me, it was like he was afraid to do it too hard. One day I was getting a hiding and thought, man, if only my mom would hit me like this. And I started laughing out loud. I couldn't help it. The principal was quite disturbed. If you are laughing while getting beaten, he said, then there's something definitely wrong with you. That was the first of three times the school made my mom take me to a psychologist to be evaluated. Every psychologist who examined me came back and said, there's nothing wrong with this kid. I wasn't ADD, I wasn't a psychopath. I was just creative and independent and full of energy. The therapist did give me a series of tests, and they did come to this conclusion, that I was either going to make an excellent criminal or be very good at catching criminals because I could always find the loopholes in the law. Whenever I thought a rule wasn't logical, I'd find my way around it. The rules about communion at Friday Mass, for example, made absolutely no sense. We'd be in there for an hour kneeling, standing, sitting, kneeling, sitting, kneeling, standing, sitting, kneeling, and by the end of it, I would be starving. But I was never allowed to take communion because I wasn't Catholic. The other kids could eat Jesus' body and drink Jesus' blood, but I couldn't. And Jesus' blood was grape juice. I loved grape juice. I loved grape juice. Grape juice and crackers. I mean, what could a kid want? And they wouldn't let me have any. I'd argue with the nuns and the priests all the time. Only Catholics can eat Jesus' body and drink Jesus' blood, right? Yes, but Jesus wasn't a Catholic. No, Jesus was Jewish, right? Well, yeah. So you're telling me that if Jesus came in right now to this church, Jesus would not be allowed to have any of Jesus' body or Jesus' blood? Uh, well, they never had a satisfactory reply. One morning before Mass, I decided I'm going to get me some of that Jesus' blood and Jesus' body. I snuck behind the altar and drank the entire bottle of grape juice, and I ate the entire bag of Eucharist to make up for all the other times that I couldn't. In my mind, I wasn't breaking the rules, because the rules didn't make any sense, and I got caught only because they broke their own rules. Another kid ratted me out in confession, and the priest turned me in. No, 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 I protested. You've broken the rules. That's confidential information. The priest isn't supposed to repeat what anyone says isn't in, in confession. They didn't care. The school could break the rules whenever it wanted. The principal laid into me. What kind of a sick person would eat all of Jesus' body and drink all of Jesus' blood? A hungry person, I replied. I got another hiding and a second trip to the psychologist for that one. The third visit I had to go to the shrink for was the last straw, and it came in sixth grade. A kid was bullying me. He said he was going to beat me up, and I brought one of the many knives that were in my house to school. I wasn't going to use it. I just wanted to have it. The school didn't care. That was the last straw for them. I was expelled. Exactly. The principal sat me down and said, Trevor, we can expel you. You need to think hard about whether or not you really want to be at Maryvale next year. I think he thought he was giving me an ultimatum that would get me to shape up. But I felt like he was offering me an out. I mean, an out. So I took it. No, I told him. I don't want to come back here. I don't want to be here. 
and that was the end of Catholic school. Funnily enough, I didn't get into trouble with my mom when it happened. There was no ass whooping waiting for me at home. She'd lost the bursary when she left her job at the ICI, and paying for private school was becoming a burden for her. More than that, she thought the school was overreacting. The truth is, she probably took my side against Maryvale more often than not. She agreed with me 100% about the Eucharist thing. Let me get this straight, she told the principal. You're punishing a child because he wants Jesus' body and he wants Jesus' blood. Why shouldn't he have those things? Of course he should have them. When they made me see a therapist for laughing while the principal was beating me, she told the school that that was ridiculous too. Mrs. Noah, your son was laughing while we were hitting him. Well, clearly you don't know how to hit a kid. That's your problem, not mine. Trevor's never laughed when I hit him, I can tell you. That was the weird and kind of amazing thing about my mom. If she agreed with me that a rule was stupid, she wouldn't punish me for breaking it. Both she and the psychologist agreed that the school was the one with the real problem, not me. Catholic school is not a place to be if you're creative and independent. Catholic school is similar to apartheid and that it's ruthlessly authoritarian and its authority rests on a bunch of rules that don't make any sense. My mother grew up with these rules and questioned them. When they didn't hold up, she simply went around them. The only authority my mother recognized was God's. God is love and the Bible is truth. Everything else is up for debate. She taught me to challenge authority and question the system. The only way it backfired on her was that I constantly challenged and questioned her. Today's poem is from A.S.J. Tesmond, Arthur Seymour John Tesmond, born an only child in 1902 in Birkenhead. He was educated at Charterhouse, ran away to London at the age of 16, hid out during World War II. He felt he was not going to be very good in a soldier's life. Rambunctious fellow, nonconformist, smart though, and wrote some very interesting poetry. Uh, he died in 1962 from a brain hemorrhage. But sticking with today's theme of wiggle room, loopholes, letters, apartheid, I'm going to read his poem, Cats. For who is better than wiggling out of all situations than a cat? So here we are, Cats, A.S.J. Tesmond. Cats no less liquid than their shadows offer no angles to the wind. They slip diminished neat through loopholes less than themselves will not be pinned. To rules or roots for journeys counter, attack with non-resistance, twist, enticing through the curving fingers and leave an angered empty fist. They wait obsequious as darkness, quick to retire, quick to return, Admit no aim or ethics, flatter with reservations, will not learn. To answer to their names are seldom truly owned till shot or skinned. Cats no less liquid than their shadows offer no angles to the wind. That was Cats by A.S.J. Tesmond.
So we'll wrap up today's show of Unwind Time with a little rewind time and touch on several notable events from this day in history. March 30th, 240 BC, first recorded perhelion passage of Halley's Comet. 1858 was the invention of the pencil with the eraser, invented and patented by Hyman Lippmann. This day in history, 1867, we have the Alaska Purchase, where the U.S. bought Alaska from Russia for $7,200,000, so that's a steal. Uh, We have in 1953, Albert Einstein's revised unified field theory. 1959 is the year that the Dalai Lama uh, fled China and was granted political asylum in India. Uh, This is also 1970, the year that Miles Davis released the beautifully and heavily influential double album, Bitches Brew. Uh, This is also the year that uh, the Beatles, 1967, photographed the cover of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Can you imagine that without Photoshop? I mean, they had to use mannequins and cutouts and all kinds of things to get the achievement. If you've never looked at the cover, look at the cover, but I'm going to imagine that you know what the cover of Sgt. Pepper's looks like. And also, last thing of notability that I'm going to mention today, 1981, U.S. President Ronald Reagan is shot and wounded. Yes, there was an assassination attempt on the life of Ronald Reagan by John Hinckley. Well, that just about does it for this inaugural episode of Unwind Time. I'm your host, Dana, and I'd like to thank my producer, Dana, and my editor, Dana, but he's really got to get his game together. I'm confident he'll pick it up as we go. He'll probably get better at this. But um, the music was provided by uh, the Anchor app, and the structure of the show is... um, I'm able to do that thanks to the Anchor app, a shameless advertisement. Um, and I will hopefully catch you next week. Thank you for joining me. This is Unwind Time, and I'm Dana. Goodbye. <laughs>